The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. On today's episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with Melissa Langa on the subject of international estate law planning. Melissa is an attorney with Bovi and Langa and the author of International Estate Planning, a Reference Guide. So we've had a lot of international estate planning questions on the AskHarry.info website. And because of that, I'm delighted that Melissa Langa is joining me today from Bove and Langa in Boston, who is an expert on international estate planning. And welcome, Melissa. Hi, Harry. How are you doing? Good. She also lives in Brookline, where I live. And uh, and I also ride bicycles like you do. And we once ran into each other at the top of a mountain in New, in New Hampshire. Do you remember that? I do. I do. That was funny. <laughs> so, And I think at a restaurant once, too. Met your husband. So we're everywhere. But so, in, but that's all local. But today we're going to talk about international stuff. So mm. I'm going to start, as I often do, with a question that one of our users asked on the website, and uh, which you can answer better than me. So I will just read it. Okay. My husband and I are both U.S. non-citizens, but both U.S. residents. We both have our names on the deed of our house, valued at about $200,000, and titles to our cars. If one of us passes away, will the surviving spouse keep the house and cars without estate taxes and inheritance taxes? Will a trust help us in this situation? If it does, what trust would that be? And can a U.S. residence couple set up such a trust? Okay, so there's a lot of questions there and a lot of facts we don't really know. Mm -hmm. So let's just take it bit by bit. So they're non-citizens, but they're residents. So the first question we would need to know the answer to is, are they long-term permanent residents? Are they green card holders? Because the rules of applying to non-citizen green card holders is completely different to non-citizens, temporary residents in the United mm, States. Now, since they have a home yeah. and a car, I'm kind of thinking that they are long-term permanent residents. I, so, I would think so too. Yeah. So let's answer that question as if they do have green cards. Yeah. All right. And if you are a non-citizen green card holder, many of the laws that apply to U.S. citizens are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. as they apply to you. But let's just look at it through this uh, hypothetical. So they have a home and they say they both names are on the deed. Well, we don't, again, know what that really means, right? So it could mean they own it joint with rights of survivorship, yeah. meaning that when the first person dies, the survivor owns it 100% automatically without yeah. any court involvement. That's probably the or, case. Should we assume that? Yeah, I think we, we assume that. Yeah, I think yeah. most time people do. So so from a legal property law perspective, when that first spouse dies, the surviving spouse owns it 100%. And that really would be the same whether they were residents, non-residents, green card holders, whatever. They own property jointly with rights of survivorship. The survivor is going to um, own it. Now, there are income tax issues that they don't really raise here about what would happen if real estate was sold by a Mm -hmm. non-citizen. There's certain withholding that occurs at that part. Uh, We'd have to look at the 
Foreign Investment in Real Property Act. For, really? Uh, <laughs> but but they're not selling it. They just want to know if they're going to get it. So they yeah. definitely get it. But do they get it free of the estate tax? Right. Well, you would have to do an estate tax analysis for sure. If they are green card holders, they get the full exemption amount that anybody else gets who's a U.S. citizen. So the 11.58 million this year. Exactly. Exactly. Going up to 11.7. Oh, I was uh, wondering what uh, when those numbers were coming out. (laughs) Yeah, they just came out like a week or so ago. So Uh it's 11.7 million in 2021. Harry, when I say that number, I just can't believe it. How could it possibly be 2021? But there. Oh, I thought it was 11.7 million. You can't believe. Yeah, you know that number too. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, so they're well, well below that. Now, if yeah. they, if they were not green card holders, and they were not U.S. citizens, then the result is vastly different because uh-huh. a non-resident, non-citizen only has a sixty thousand dollar exemption amount that they can use. And so that's interesting. what's the definition of a resident? So green card holder. Okay. So, well, let me step back for a second. Okay. There's always a different test for income tax purposes than there are for estate and gift tax purposes. Mm-hmm. All right. So for, and we're talking about estate and gift taxes here. So for that purpose, it's really, where's your heart? Where are you domiciled? Uh-huh. Right? Now, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're a U.S. citizen. It doesn't make any difference where you're domiciled. Right. But if you're a non-citizen and we're wondering, are you domiciled in the United States? A, a very good fact is a green card. So if you have right. a green card, you're deemed domiciled here. Okay. If you don't have a green card, you can still be deemed domiciled here. And it's actually a very difficult test to apply because the way the law thinks of it is that everybody is born with a domicile. So you're born in the United Kingdom, that's your domicile. And that's your domicile till you give it up. Mm-hmm. So if you come here and live in the United States and you don't have a green card which deems you a domiciliary, have you given up your domicile in the UK? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of is a fact and circumstances. What are you doing over here? Are you working here? Is this where your children are? This is where your assets are. Uh-huh. Are, do you have you formed the intention to leave the UK and never go back? Uh-huh. That's what you wow. need to do. Once you have your domicile of origin, they call it. It's yeah. hard to give up. Yeah, it's really hard to give it up. So, so, so that would so be an analysis we so have you don't, to do. Of, well, that's interesting. So if you don't have a green card, so say you're here on some sort of more more temporary visa, and you pass away, you're going to be taxed on everything above sixty thousand dollars, or your state is. If you are not deemed a domicile, so you're not considered a resident, uh-huh. and you're only going to get the advantage of the sixty thousand, you only get taxed on U.S. Citus property. Okay. Which would be real estate. Their house. Their house, stocks in U.S. corporations, U.S. retirement accounts, mm-hmm. tangible property located in the United States, so their cars. Mm-hmm. So all of that would be subject to the tax. But their bank, ac- their bank account back in Spain won't be taxed. Correct. If they're no. not a U.S. citizen, correct. Correct. So, so there's uh, a lot of different kind of analysis we go through when a couple like this walks in the office to get to the point where we can even give them the legal advice that they're asking for. Right. So we have to determine all these other things. Where are you domiciled? Do you have a green card? Things like that. 
So, so what happens to the marital deduction? So in this case, of course, one, one of the spouses is going to die before the other. And if they're U.S. citizens, you get, you, it doesn't matter what you have. There's no tax. Correct. On the first step, right? There's an unlimited marital deduction. Right, right. But right, when property passes from one person, like a U.S. citizen, to a non-U.S. citizen spouse, the U.S. government gasps. They go, oh, no. That non-citizen spouse is going to take the money, disappear abroad, and we're never going to get the chance to tax it when they die, which is what we do with our own citizens. We let the first, at the first step, the U.S. citizen spouse can get everything without tax because we're going to tax that person when they die here in the U.S. Right. But our public policy is we're afraid the non-citizen spouse is going to scurry away before we can tax them. Right. Especially when she's alone especially when she's alone, off she goes, right? Yeah. So in this particular case, we don't need to worry about it because if they're green card holders, they get the full 11.58 million exemption. Even if and they don't only... get the marital deduction. Yeah, but they get the exemption. Oh, they do. Right, they... you only need to use the deduction once oh. you used up your exemption. Right. Right. So these people don't need to worry in this hypothetical if they're mm -hmm. green card holders. Right. If they're not green card holders, then yes, there's going to be a tax that will apply on the first death for everything above 60,000 unless it passes to the non-citizen surviving spouse in a qualified manner that will postpone the tax. And that's called a qualified domestic trust or we all call them Q dots. Uh, so this, so so this is so. Pay. So in again, this uh, these days this doesn't apply to too many people on the federal level because of the eleven point five or eleven point seven million dollar exemption. But the but in the, if you have more than that, we won't talk about portability. But if you have more than that, you would have you would shelter money in a credit shelter trust. So it's a Q yeah. dot like a credit shelter trust. Well, the QDOT is what's going to postpone the tax, right? Or at least postpone it from the date of death of the first one. So money from a citizen spouse is goes into a trust called a QDOT for the benefit of the non-citizen spouse, mm -hmm. right? There are certain provisions that have to be in that trust. You have to have a U.S. trustee. There's certain accounting provisions that have to occur. It's kind of a complicated trust. Mm -hmm. We'll go back to that in a minute. But what's interesting about a QDOT, that's not true for U.S. citizen marital deduction trust, is every time a distribution comes out, it's subject to the estate tax at that time. Oh. So it doesn't wait until the surviving spouse dies. Sometimes they use it up uh -huh. and there's nothing left. And they're right? paying tax all, all along while they're using it up. Yes. There's an exception for hardship distributions. Mm -hmm. uh, not easy to prove. I've never even seen anybody try to prove it, so I don't even know what the test is. But there is an exception if you can prove hardship, which I guess if it was the only money their surviving spouse had, yeah, was the money in the Q dot, and money was going out for rent and medical expenses. I think that would qualify. But most you know. people with more than eleven point seven million dollars aren't facing that kind of financial right. hardship. Exactly. It's <laughs> probably why you don't run into it. Exactly. So so what exactly. about a state like Massachusetts, where we have, instead of a $11.7 million exemption, we have a $1 million exemption. How does mm -hmm. that play into U.S. non-U.S. citizens? Well, we have guidance from the Massachusetts Department of Revenue that says we can do uh, a QDOT 
for a Massachusetts surviving spouse, non-citizen, that is special only to Massachusetts, right? So we would have to do it in Massachusetts for anything above a million dollars or else, or anything above, well, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the exemption, anything above a million, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have a Massachusetts Q dot. Ah. It's permissible. Yeah. So- Sometimes to avoid the complication of a Q dot, the surviving spouse will get U.S. citizenship after the first spouse dies. You only mm-hmm. have nine months to do it. So uh-huh. it's not easy to do. Usually it only works if you're there already in the system working towards citizenship. But sometimes that's how people get around the Q dot. So we've been talking. We've talking a bit about a citizen spouse and a with a non-citizen spouse. Is there any difference if they're both non-citizens? But yeah, certainly. Then the rules about marital deduction would go both ways. Uh huh. For sure, there's no uh, gift tax marital deduction. So with our spouses that are U.S. citizens, we can give them anything we want. Doesn't make any difference. Government doesn't even want to know about it. You don't right. even have to file a gift tax return, right? But that's not true when you gift to a non-citizen. There, there is no uh, spousal deduction, marital deduction for the gift tax. They have a special rule. So everybody knows about the annual exclusion, I think. Right. I'm sure right. all your listeners know about they, they, that. They, so right. yeah. Little gifts that the government doesn't care about. So in the number changes every once in a while this year, it's I could give $15,000 to everybody, all of your listeners could get yep. $15,000 from me, <laughs> all 10 million of them. And I, and I wouldn't have to- I, I, hope you, I hope you can afford to do that. But I wouldn't have to tell the government because that, okay. that's so small gifts per person per year. And that is staying at 15,000 for 2021. So what the rule is for gifts to a non-citizen spouse, you can only make annual exclusion gifts but it's a different number. Uh-huh. So in this year, 2020, it's $157,000 a year you could give to your non-citizen spouse and that's an annual exclusion gift. You don't have to tell the government and it's going up to 159,000 next year. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a lot of money. It's a lot of money to me. Yeah. But when you're planning with wealthy non-citizens who are really trying to move a lot of wealth yeah. into their spouse's control, that little annual exclusion is kind of peanuts. Yeah. Um, well, over, but over not, 10 years. But it's not it's, nothing. Yeah. Over 10 years, it's 1.6 million. So. Right. Right. There you have it. And in this example you gave of the $200,000 house, suppose spouse number one paid all the money mm-hmm. and put spouse number two's name on it. Yeah. Well, now they've made a gift of $100,000. If they're both U.S. citizens, we don't care about that. Right. But if spouse who got the gift is a non-U.S. citizen, then we do care about it. And we have to quickly look up what's the annual exclusion for non-spouses, non-citizen spouses. And we go, oh, it's 157000 Half of this is only 100000 These clients don't have a problem. Not an issue. They're, it's not an issue. But if this was a million-dollar house... That there could have they could have made a taxable gift that would need reporting and gift tax would be paid at forty percent. Not so, good. It's complicated, but a good it excuse for not giving your money to your spouse, I suppose. Sorry, dear. <laughs> I, I would love to. 
get a green card. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so get it. So great. But they get a green card. And it's okay. So. And that example was no. Oh. The gifts to green card holders are treated like gifts to non-citizens. Oh, they are. Okay. So, Sorry so about that. green yes. card do doesn't do the trick. Right. Okay. So it uh, just does it. It just does the trick for getting the $11.58 million dollar or $11.7 million now. They have that exemption. exemption. Right, they have that exemption amount, right? Okay. Yes. Great. So what happens, I think we might have alluded to this, but our non-citizens are living here and working and they have their green cards and then they retire and decide they're going to move back to their country of origin. Great question, Harry. Wonderful. One of the things we always tell people is when you get your green card, sometimes we're talking to clients who are thinking about getting a green card. We say, well, number one, think long and hard about it. Because if you get a green card, you are now in our system. And the U.S. is going to tax you, income tax you, on worldwide income. They're going to be treated mm -hmm. just like a citizen. So number for one- For income taxes. For income tax purposes. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Okay. And then- also, for estate tax purposes, we're going to start uh, subjecting you on your worldwide assets to our estate tax. Mm -hmm. So you got to think about it long and hard. So then you have a client that goes, I thought about it. I, this is what I want to do. My kids were born here. They're U.S. citizens. I'm on the path to citizenship. I'm going to get my green card. Okay. Then you tell them, okay, calendar out seven years. Because you have about eight years to decide whether or not you're going to give up your green card mm -hmm. without having to be subject to what are called our expatriation rules in the United States. Once you go past that eight years, now you're a long-term permanent resident. And if you decide to go back to your country of origin or someplace else yeah. and give up your green card, you have to jump through the expatriation rules. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, Many people, so how about quickly expatriation rules? Yeah. Uh, so, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? So, why not? <laughs> yeah, people are always interested in that. It sounds a little yeah. complex, but yes. Right. Well, I can make anything simple. <laughs> That's how Good. I understand things, Harry, in a simple way. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, there's an income tax test and there's an asset test, and, and, and they're pretty high. So the average Joe is not going to meet either of those tests. Uh -huh. Like you have to have taxable income of like $180,000 a year, averaged out over five years and maybe more than $2 million of assets. So a lot of people don't meet the test. Yeah. And those people fall into a trap because they just read that far and then they go, oh, I don't have to follow any of the expatriation rules. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. And they leave. If they do that, they are now what's called a covered expatriate because they forgot to file. And all you need to do is say, I don't have the income and assets that trigger the expatriation rules. Yeah. And I am in full compliance with the U.S. income tax payments. And, and so and most people are compliant with their taxes. And if you file that form, that's it. You can leave. Uh -huh. You're not a covered expatriate, and it's not good to be a covered expatriate. So that's really the takeaway for people who might be listening, that if you are going to relinquish your U.S. citizenship or your green card and leave the United States, and you think you're under these asset and income 
levels, you should really still meet with your accountant mm-hmm. or an estate plan lawyer. And the estate plan lawyer actually knows out. this stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So you don't, uh, yeah, and, and then you just got to be worried a little bit. I, I, I never worry too much about this, but people do talk about that. There's always the possibility if you expatriate that you'll be stopped at the border if you want to mm-hmm. come back. But what about, so you expatriate, but you still got your condo here in the United States. Yeah. Okay. So that would differ whether you're a covered expatriate or a not covered. So let's assume you did everything right and you're not a covered expatriate. Now you're just treated as a non-U.S. citizen with U.S. situs property. So, So just owning real estate in the United States and then you die in uh, Brazil. Yeah. That's where you've gone to live you would be subject to the U.S. estate tax. With, with, just, with just the $60,000 exemption. And Correct. would that also be true? And what if you still had a an IRA here in the United States? Retirement benefits are U.S. side assets for estate tax purposes. So that'd be taxed too? Yes. So, yes. So Typically, gonna... bank accounts are okay. Treasury bonds are okay. We have a government <clears throat> policy. As much foreign money that wants to come into our banks and buy T-bills, come on in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. But but real, the, the real trick is U.S. stock, to tell uh-huh. you the truth. That's what catches people. Because you can own U.S. stock as a non-resident, non-citizen. And it's treated one way if you gift it away during your lifetime. And it's treated a different way if you're holding it at your death. So, huh. so you can be a non-citizen and gift away U.S. stock, and that's not considered a U.S. situs asset for gift tax purposes. But if I'm a non-resident, non-citizen, and I die holding that U.S. stock, and a lot of people like to invest in our markets, then that will be subject to the U.S. estate tax with that meager 60000 exemption. Wow. It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> It is complicated. It's the kind of stuff that when you practice in this area, as I do, I'm always going back and picking up research materials and going back and looking at the law. And believe it or not, I'm always a big proponent of, to tell lay people that the IRS website has a lot of really good information mm-hmm. that's written for the lay person. I don't want to put myself out of business, yeah. but if you have a question about expatriation, Go to the IRS website. There's a whole publication on it that's written for the layperson, and it's pretty easy to understand. Cool. Still, maybe you, go see a lawyer, but at yeah. least you've educated your little yourself. You'll be able to ask better questions when and, you're actually paying for someone's advice. Right, and understand better what they're saying if it's this is not your first time hearing it. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you've also written a book, a treatise on the topic. What? Tell, tell me about oh, that. Oh, that's nice of you to mention that. So, yes, it's called International Estate Planning. We just came out with the second edition with Jurist Publishing. And I do have to tip my hat to my co-author, Barbara Hauser, who's a wonderful, brilliant attorney, lives out in Minnesota. And she wrote the original book mm-hmm. and about maybe like 15 years ago, maybe the book came out originally. And it was kind of like in a loose leaf, three ring binder kind of a book. And there'd be annual updates to that binder. 
And about five years ago, she asked me if I would start helping her with the updates. She was getting tired of it. She's a bit older than I am, different part of her life, that kind of thing. And she and I knew each other from professional activities around, around the country. So I did that for about four or five years. And then we decided to do a whole new edition. Now it's out just as like a regular book. And she was kind enough to ask me to co-author it. So, so it's really, it's not a, a law book in the sense that it's got cases in it and things like that. It's, it's written for, it's a little dense, but I mm-hmm. think lay people can pick it up and yeah. get something out of it. Certainly my colleagues in wealth management and the accounting field, they tell me it's very useful as a reference. What's nice about it, new. I mean, yeah. It was always a nice book, but what's nice about it now, extra nice, yeah. is at the end of it, we have 14 jurisdictional summaries that hmm. we've had local authors from around the world. So oh, that's cool. A French lawyer that we respect wrote an article on trust and estates law in France. Oh. And so we, I think I said we have like 14, 15, something like that, huh. and we hope to be adding them. So the next that's time great. we have another edition, yeah, yeah. And then you can get it online, all that kind of stuff. Good. But, well, it's, uh, it's, it's in our library at our law firm now. So. Oh, nice. But I, nice. But I, I guess I hadn't uh, no, known about that and the, the appendices. So I'm going to take a look. Oh, take a look at them. I, yeah. I refer to them myself all the time. If I have a client coming in that's from France, I'll just go mm-hmm. quickly look at it just to refresh my memory. But mm-hmm. can I just say one thing about that? Yes. I will never put myself out there and tell a client that I understand the laws of France. Mm -hmm. So if I have a client who's got connections to another country, I always tell them we need to partner with somebody there. I have a broad understanding of many jurisdictions, but you never know what somebody's law is unless you actually live there, are licensed to practice. I I won't even say I know the laws in New Hampshire. So you're right. <laughs> Much less You're friends. right. And don't even get us going about California and New York. Right, right. And community property. Louisiana. So, right. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Melissa. This is, is a great introduction, and I know where to send any of my international clients now. Oh, thank you, Harry. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.